Wagwan, everybody. Welcome to the Dis Afemi History Podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. ...to the podcast and to speak about Caribbean foods or food ways and um, to be able to give you a perspective on things. So first of all, before we start, I'll have you introduce uh, yourself to the audience. Um, hello, I'm Chef Keisha Griggs. I'm currently located in Houston, um, but I am by way of Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I have a catering company here. I also have a restaurant um, that is Caribbean-based. Catering is everything. Uh, I'm touting myself as a food activist. Um, I teach a lot about sustainable, locally sustainable food, as well as Caribbean um, food as well, and the ties of Caribbean food to um, our African culture or African heritage. Um, So that's kind of the gist of me. I love food. I love talking about food. I love talking about um, the history of food. Um, I'm learning something new every day. Um, And so I'm very excited that you asked me to to join you on this podcast today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, no, thank you so much, Chef Griggs. And as well, um, you know, what kind of, you know, really drew you to specializing in Caribbean foods and food base? Um, I'm Trinidadian and Trinidadians, I'm, you know, eating, eating was a, a part of, is, eating is such a force in our culture as I'm sure it is with many Caribbean cultures. And, you know, my mother is the cooker of the family. So any Christmases, birthdays, get togethers, my mom's in the kitchen, cooking all of it, whipping it up. So by happenstance and by default, you know, I was her little mini sous chef, right? So if I get come home and there's a bowl, you know, big plastic Pyrex bowl on the table, mm-hmm. it's, you know, celery and onions and bell peppers and thyme. Um, I was cutting that shit up, you know, whether I wanted to or not, I, you know, I was in there cutting it up and, and helping her and watching pots and eating a little as we went. And the fellowship that happens with women in the kitchen is something that is, um, is ingrained and it was never, it was always a joyous thing, right? It was never something like that seemed to label laborious was, oh, I got to cook dinner. It was like, all right, let's, you know, throw some music on. Yeah. And let's all be in here. And one one person's doing this, another person's doing that. And you know, at the time you're a child, you want to go play. So you're like, oh, cut this shit. And yeah. then you're done with it. But then you know, halfway through, you start smelling the smells, and you come back, and you know, you're kind of just watching the gossip happening in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and the men watching football, or the men playing football, because you know, football is a for us is a huge thing here in the States. Soccer is not so much, but everywhere else it is. So either watching or playing football and, you know, it just became more of a, a fellowship than just dinner. Um, so by happenstance, I just fell into it. Um, and then, you know, to make it my profession, it was just the, not only the, the teaching people, cause you teach people via food, 
because um, people don't know what they want. <laughs> people mm -hmm. think they know, but they don't. Um, and so introducing new new flavors and new new um, techniques and or new ingredients is something that I enjoyed. And I like making people happy. I like I like creating. Um, eating is the only thing that we do that ignites all five of our senses. And so to be able to create something that can do that um, and create memories, like there's a lot, we don't, we don't recognize how much food memory we have. You know, you can be walking down the street and you smell something and it takes you back to 25 years ago when you were at so-and-so, so-and-so, and you had so-and-so, so-and-so on the street corner at two o'clock in the morning, right? So food is something that transcends, um, that I think is 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 pretty cool that I get to do this for for a living. So that's what drew me to specialize in in Caribbean cuisine and to represent Caribbean cuisine uh, at a at a I don't, I'll use the word gourmet, but mm -hmm. I wanted to I like the idea of playing around with this similar flavors presented differently. So that's that's kind of where my my hot spot for for cooking comes from. No, no, thank you for that, because, I mean, you're right, it, it, you know, smelling something will take you definitely down a, a different memory lane and uh, bring back good memories as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, with Caribbean cuisine, you know, it is incredibly diverse. You know, would you be able to provide an overview of the different culinary styles and influences that define the Caribbean cuisine? So, I, I can only speak to Trinidad, because that's where I'm from. So I am blessed to be uh, from the beautiful Isles of TNT mm -hmm. um, because we have and pull cultural influences from a lot of different places. Um, there's the West Indian, because we are considered West Indian. Mm -hmm. So there is an enormous uh, Indian population and we get to pull from that. There is an Asian, we get to pull from Asia as well. We get to pull from Africa. We get to pull from the European aspect of Trinidad. So Trinidad has it's a melting pot of flavors um, that I get to play with. And I tell people like, you know, I'm from a very diverse country where I get to pull from Indian, African, Asian, um, European, British. I get to pull from all of those different ingredients, techniques and spices and flavor profiles that I can, my menus get to be a little bit of everything. You know, we have a vegetable domain on my menu at my restaurant which is a, Trini a Trinidadian Chinese vegetable lo mein, well, chicken lo mein, and then we also have curry goat. <laughs> we have doubles, you know, so we have, but then I'm in America, so we also have sweet potato, right? So like, and, but sweet potatoes here are different than sweet potatoes, you know, in Africa and um, in the Caribbean. So it's just being able to um, play around with those flavors. I'm I'm really lucky to be from a, such a diverse uh, culinary landscape. And all those different flavors. So in your experience, what role does food play in preserving and celebrating Caribbean culture and heritage? Um, it plays a huge part, right? Because you hear curry and here you hear curry and you think Asian, mm -hmm. right? You think the sweet and the green curries and the Whereas in Trinidad, you know, Chiefs is made in Trinidad and it's a completely different, you know, savory or less fragrant curry flavor profile. And I think as food professionals, it's by happenstance, you're teaching people your culture by way of food. Um, 
I'm in America, so you know nobody really considers a garbanzo or a chana or a chickpea until, or they're like, oh, I don't like that. And I'm like, no, why don't you just try it? And, you know, because it's in the present presentation that it's in, it'll change a person's mind completely. Um, but that is, we get to expose people to things that they've never had before. Um, you know, we have tambourine for our doubles at my restaurant, mm -hmm. right? So what's a tambourine sauce? What's a culantro chutney? What is culantro? Oh, well, culantro is actually cilantro. It's just the cousin of cilantro. Um, but we call it shadowbenny, right? So I can't put mm -hmm. shadowbenny on my menu, <laughs> um, but I put a cilantro pesto, right? They get that. But when they see, because we have the plant at the restaurant and they're like, what is that? I'm like, well, that's what we use for our chutney. It's called culantro, but really it's called shadowbenny from where I'm from. Um, but in the States, it's, it's cilantro to you or coriander to you because um, coriander is the seed of cilantro. Um, so being able to educate people um, on the different flavor profiles that aren't so, are, that are the same but different um, is one of the ways that I, I, I incorporate the history of Caribbean food into like every day, um, you know, yeah, like a bajin or a melengue is an eggplant, right? We have an a, a eggplant choka at the restaurant and it's a dip, right? It's an eggplant dip. Choka is not a, a thing, it's a technique, right? But choka is the same thing that, is the same technique that Asians use when you pour hot oil over aromatics. When you pour hot oil over green onions and garlic and ginger and chili, in Asia, it is that is a choka, right? But in Trinidad, choka is the same exact thing, burning the eggplant and then pouring hot oil and thinly sliced onions and garlic, mashing it all up and then pouring hot oil over it is the same thing. You're bringing out the arom aromatics. So I talk a lot about the similarities in our techniques and it's just called something different around the, around the globe. So just giving people good food, making good food approachable, and they don't even know they're getting a lesson, but they definitely are. Yes. <laughs> and then ex explaining it to them. You know, people come in and Americans have no idea what a double is, right? Yep. Doubles is a big deal. You know, when you find doubles or you find a double lady or man someplace, you go there. Um, but I have Americans that walk into my restaurant and they order it because of the description. What's a bara? Oh, well, bara is a fried bread. What do you mean like a fried? I call it like a Caribbean taco is what I, because I'm, I'm in Texas. Yeah. So everybody can relate to a taco. <laughs> uh, and I have to explain to people how to eat it. You know, I like this is a, this is a, you know, a Caribbean street food that's extremely popular in my country. And you eat it like a taco and the china. And I call it china. And they're like, what? And I'm like, garbanzo beans. That's what china is with turmeric. And they're like, turmeric. Yes, turmeric. And you put that in there and you add your tambourine sauce, tambourine sauce. And I, we have them kind of on display on my thing and I show them what the tambourine is um and most people but tambourine is also something that Hispanics know everything about right because Hispanics use tambourine all the time um and, and by way of candy by way of sauces by way of but Indians do as well so it's it's just being able to play enough of that and the, the cucumber relish goes on top and they're like oh eat it like a taco because if not then they'll just cut it <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like a steak and eat it separately. I'm like, no, no, no. 
on the side of the road, you've got like a paper and you've got to like fold that paper up and tilt your head over to the side and eat it that way. I've presented it in a very civilized <laughs> situation. Yeah. So by way of cooking authentically Caribbean food is, is how I continue to uh, tell the story of my culture and uh, expose people to the story of my culture. It just shows the similarities between the two as well, mm -hmm. uh, which is mm -hmm. which is fabulous. And then, you know, could you just go, I guess, to some of the essential ingredients and spices that are quintessential to the Caribbean cooking and how do these ingredients you know, contribute to the unique flavor of the Caribbean dish? Curry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Curry is, yeah. you know, um, thyme, um, habanero, scotch bonnets. Mm -hmm. um, bay leaf is a big deal uh, garlic and ginger as well um, flour because you know like we talked earlier everything has you know a bread component mm -hmm. um, provisions so your plantains your um, cassava which which cassava and yucca is the same thing but it's you know it's it's said differently because yeah. you can go to an asian market and have they have cassava but they call it yucca you can go to the african market cassava you can go to the hispanic market and it's yucca right so but we you know that's we call that provisions because you know some green plantain some edos which is taro here but we call it edos um and you know uh, dumplings which is flour um we those are I think those are like the mainstays. Of course, there's salt butter, but that's like a whole different thing. Uh, so that's more of a man-made condiment that has the flavors of um, turmeric, um, for sure. Uh, well, saffron because saffron and turmeric mm -hmm. is interchangeable. Um, so th those I think is the basis. You know, the green seasoning, which is you know culantro, celery, garlic and green onions, you know, blended up like a sofrito, which is the same thing that, you know, um, Hispanics use as their base of things as a sofrito. We, they're both green. They all have pretty much the same uh, ingredients, but theirs is called sofrito, which is the base for beans and rice and stews. And ours is green seasoning, which is the same. Um, so there's technique that that is the same along, you know, the, the different cultures, same technique, just something different with just a tinge and a, a change based off of the region of the ingredient. So I think those are the the mainstays that you know if you're going to be cooking some curry chicken or some goat, or if you're going to be stewing some some uh, chicken or beef, or if you're going to be uh, do a, a fish broth or oil down. Those are all ingredients that you know you'll use. Oil down is, you know, the glutinous of the pig is where the oil down comes from. But then there's vegans who have no idea, like will never put a, a pigtail in their oil down. And it's just the provisions in the corn. So. And those provisions, that's what sometimes only people can eat is just the provisions. Yeah, it's yeah. just the provisions. And that's a and I, I, of itself. <laughs> it is, it is. And, and I call it ital food. Mm -hmm. Um uh, and that, but the Ital food is tied to a religion, right? Because yeah. that is, is, is Rastafarian. That is something that is, so it's just, you know, very, 
interesting when you when you think about like how we consider foods in different ways as a culture yeah i guess it's just it's just i guess how you look at it right so and then you know with your culinary journey how has it allowed you explore and experiment with these traditional caribbean recipes and ingredients and are there any innovative approaches approaches or fusions that you've pr produced in your cooking um I do definitely teeter on experimental things when I'm doing, um, I do a bunch of different um, refined, of course, dinner situations. Mm -hmm. um, and so I like to introduce, um, let's say a corn soup um, or, or we'll say doubles, right? So I did it, I do a thing with um, kind of puree, pan puree, which is an Indian puffed ball that and pampuri means um, water, to water. Um, but you'll see it in, in a lot of Indian places. It's like a little round ball, it's crispy. And on the inside, it's like sana and there's like a water and you, it's like a one bite situation. So I like merging the, the flavor or for instance, um, I like merging the flavors, flavor profile of something that's so familiar differently. So I'll do that or you know, during festival season last year, I wanted to do something that represented where I'm from and where I am, which is in Houston. But I also want to make sure that I um, incorporate Trinidadian or Caribbean flavors. So here there is a, a, a Mexican dish called sopas, right? So sopas is um, is masa flour, corn flour, and it's, it's just it's just a, you know, deep fried and it's this crispy, um, like a thick, it's like about that big, but round and you pit, you know, traditionally it's like ground beef and beans and avocado, but I wanted to do it a Caribbean way. So I did curry chickpeas because I, I tend to do most things on the outside for vegetarians because I feel like when you're at a festival, everyone can eat it because um, the meat eaters will eat it and the vegetarians have an option to eat it. Um, so we did, uh, I do like a, with the curry chickpeas and all the same condiments that you would get on the doubles, but on a coconut sopa. So when people say that, they're like, coconut sopa, like what? I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, it's a sopa, but I made it with coconut and coconut milk. And it's the same, instead of water, I use coconut milk and it's deep fried and it was absolutely divine. Um, but those are different ways I incorporate different cultures and different techniques into expressing my Caribbean heritage. Very nice. That sounds very delicious too. <laughs> <laughs> I, know I mean you, you can do the science food too right yeah. you can do the spears and you can do the foams and you can do the jellies and you can do and I do all of that as well but that's more on the technical side I like merging different cultural things um on top of just the technical side no I mean that's great because I mean you know coconut most people just use coconut for one particular thing and won't even think outside of the box to say to use it the way that you've used it right so it's good to know that it can be fused it can be used in different um different ways right as yeah. opposed to just what you've probably grown up with uh, on how you know that you normally would use it and you know on that because you mentioned before in terms of with um you know growing up and uh, being in the uh in the kitchen and being as a sous chef, 
um, you know, family and community are really central in the Caribbean culture. So how has this influenced the way meals are prepared and shared and celebrated in community, in Caribbean households and communities? I think a part of why it's when growing up cooking was such a an event, if you will, is because there isn't, it, it really just stems from love, right? Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that if you love what you're doing, you taste it. I think that we've, we're kind of in the generation where cooking is a chore. Mm -hmm. it, cooking is, be, is seen as like washing dishes and doing laundry. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's not a, it's, it's a survival thing versus a pleasure thing, right? We have to eat, right, to survive versus let's go eat to enjoy uh, or it, I feel like there's been a shift in the appreciation of sustenance and the appreciation of, of fellowshipping together to, you know, back in the days growing up, our parents went to other people's house and ate food. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody brought food and it was like a, a get together. Like everyone communed around the table. You know, some of the biggest, you know, historical events happened around a dinner table, you know? So the idea that, I mean, Caribbeans are inclusive in the fact that food is fellowship um, and food cooked with love is everlasting. Um, so I just love what I do and I love to cook and I love to, like I said earlier, you know, create a memory for my guests and for the people that I cook for, even if it's like the best grilled cheese sandwich you've ever had. Right. So mm -hmm. it, it, it really is the love. Cause I don't remember my mom ever complaining about being the person that cooked all the food. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't recall. Now she's trying to pass the buck and I'm like, no, ma'am. Um, but I don't remember her being in a place where it was a laborious thing to cook dinner for people coming over or, or, or the family. Um, Cause we have a big family, you know, and everyone, my mother is an amazing cook, but then also my dad is an amazing cook and he cooks for, you know, there are Caribbean men when they're, they work a lot away from home. Um, so they'll get a job and, you know, they live in Houston and they'll get a job in Arizona or, or, you know, overseas, but it's all the same type of work. And my dad would be the one, you know, that everybody on Sunday came over and, he, and they'll all buy the food and just give it to my dad to cook. So yeah. I get it both ways. You know, when my dad's here, he's like, I'm going to cook you dinner. And, you know, this past, he was here a couple of months ago, well, about a month ago. And I was making, I don't remember what I was making, but he was standing over me. He was like, you put that in your catalog? I was like, you know, get out of my kitchen. <laughs> I don't put that in my catalog. I don't, I'm like, oh boy. So, but I, I get it both ways, um, cooking. And I think it's it, something that they both share is that they like, they like being the person to bring joy and make people happy. And, and food makes people happy. People do little dances when they have a good food. When they taste something and it's good, they do a little jiggle. So I think that that is something I get on both sides. So here I am. Yeah, it's, it's a real labor of love, as you said. So uh, it is what it is, right? So, and then of course, you know, just with food in general, that, you know, especially in the Caribbean 
that so many dishes are known by different names by each island, uh, but they're the same thing. Would you have any uh, example that you know of some of these dishes that would be, you know, as one way in Trinidad and Tobago and something different in a different island? Um, I'm not, I'm going to be honest, I'm not as well versed as to the different types of dishes, more so than ingredients. Okay. So, and I get, I, I learned that, you know, via like, we were talking earlier about my grandmother. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, when I go to the store with her, she'll say something or she'll ask me to bring something that like, she'll say, um, you, is there any Karali by you? So Karali to us is bitter melon to everybody else. Um, and that is something that, you know, I just grew up with knowing Karali. And then I remember I saw it for the first time that like, like I said, we have a very eclectic and diverse community here so you know you can go to a local store and they'll have like you know Chinese eggplant they'll have a bitter melon they'll have um Chinese okra what we call okra ocho right but that's okra right we call uh, eggplant melengue but that's eggplant we mm-hmm. call avocado zabaca but it's avocado still um so those are the the terms that I grew up with and it wasn't until I like got into food and it became an adult that I realized like oh wait but this is not you know this is not avocado it's tobacco because that's what we grew up hearing and and tobacco is something that is salt and pepper you know like it's on the table with every meal you know eating avocado has just been like I for my entire life <laughs> but like you know like I said earlier like you know cilantro culantro shadow benny Shadowbeni is what we call culantro. We hear they call it cilantro. Um, we talked about China and chickpeas and garbanzo. That's something that is one, two, three, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so split peas is yellow. I think they call it yellow split peas here. Lentils is lentils. Um, but more so, I mean, like we talked a little bit earlier, rice and peas is universal to our, our African Caribbean, Hispanic, Native American um, culturals tie into, we all make a version of peas and rice, where you call it paella, you call it an add seafood, or you call it, um, you know, paylao, or you call it red beans and rice, because in the South, red beans and rice is a thing. Um, Just different, just, you know, add pork, and you have red beans and rice, add coconut milk, and you have paylao at tomato seafood and you have paella but it's all you know the same arroz con pollo you know rice and peas and chicken so it's all the same thing that we're just calling it differently but that's because technique and and ingredients all came by way right so no 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 that's so true but um and then you know continue on this theme of, of foods uh, that are linked now back to the continent of Africa. Because I think we don't necessarily sometimes realize, because I know we were talking before recording that, you know, a lot of foods are linked back to the continent. And I think- Most that, food. Yeah. <laughs> Most food is linked back to the continent. Um, Dr. Jessica Harris has a really amazing book called High on High on the Hog. Have you read that? No, I haven't read that. So that book uh, traces the origins of 
food and ingredients in America by way of Americas. And it speaks to how certain things, rice, watermelon, um, okra, even landed corn, landed here by way of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, it's actually a very amazing book just to grasp how influential Africa is in current day, the current day culinary landscape. Um, and I learned a lot from reading that book and I was just kind of blown away. One, uh, it's completely historical. Um, like th there's a Netflix special that's called High on the Hog, but it is, it doesn't even skim the surface of that book. Like I read that book and I was like, I wish I was a Hollywood producer. I would take five things from every chapter and make a movie series about this. It is an amazing body of work. Um, I had an opportunity meeting Jessica. So I was like fangirling out and I was like, you're an amazing person. Um, it's that it, it's a book that um, kind of outlines how much of an impact our ancestors made by way of sneaking and and keeping the culture alive no matter what the cost. Mm -hmm. um, collard greens and creating meals out of necessity um, and making businesses out of it. Like I, I never even knew that there was you know, you hear this such a one-sided story about Africans in America during that time, during slavery, but there was a lot of Africans and African-Americans that took that and made businesses and, and, and to see what they've done to, you know, watermelon and demonized it and turned it against us when we are the reason why there's watermelon yeah. here in this country, um, giving rice to another, another, another culture, the Asian culture, when rice is, you know, the Gullah Geechee still are immense rice producers, right? Um, sorrel, which is something that we drink as sorrel, but here it's called hibiscus, right? And that's a, that's a, that's a huge uh, Hispanic influence. It's something that you find in every, you know, Mexican grocery store and or restaurant, they have a version of hibiscus tea and a hibiscus drink, but we call that sorrel, which I sell at my restaurant and I make it the way that my grandmother made it with bay leaf and clove. Mm -hmm. um, Callaloo, I know that Jamaicans have their version of Callaloo. We have a version of Callaloo, which is, you know, ocho and spinach or, or Callaloo leaf, which one of my customers grows and he brings me his Callaloo leaf because, oh. you know, yeah, he grows in his, his name is Henry. He's like an older gentleman. He has a business up the street. And when he found out I was a Trinidadian restaurant or a Caribbean restaurant, he brings me papa sauce and he brings me scotch butter because he grows things and he has lamb. I'm sorry, he, he has goat, which I always oh. threaten to like kidnap his goat and, and turn it into delicious curry. Um, <laughs> but he brings me, you know, callaloo leaf, which is a little difficult to grow in Houston's weather. Um, but, you know, we also use um, Malabar spinach um, that grows in abundance here. Um, so there's there's a lot of things that tie back to Africa that we still use here. Um, I like we talked earlier, provisions, taro, eros, cassava, um, green plantain, mm -hmm. all of those things we 
grows on 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 the continent. We're just you because cassava is fufu, right? All right, it's just pounded to a nauseum fufu, which mm -hmm. creates the starch. So we're eating the same thing, just differently. And fufu is the bread of Africa, right? It's, it's the thing that you eat all of your food with. We also eat it the same way. Um, and most people don't realize it's just like a potato, you know? It, it's, it's so, you know, at my restaurant, I, instead of potato, we use cassava. We do a garlic cassava instead of having mashed potatoes. Again, introducing Caribbean flavors and Caribbean ingredients, similar, but, but different everyone eats potatoes <laughs> and so when they ask what is this cassava I said oh it's like our, it's a potato and they're like oh it's a garlic potato yeah it's like a garlic potato <laughs> so just boiling it the same exact way peeling it and boiling it the same exact way making chips out of it making chips out of plantain um those are things like we talked earlier about how I use different techniques for ingredients mm -hmm. that are familiar to to my country mm -hmm. and definitely just to uh, put a different twist on things so people can relate to what they're eating and not, you know, be necessarily put off, right? So um, kudos to you for, for doing that. And, um, you know, for food tourism, uh, since that is on the rise and people are, you know, they're, they're interested in exploring different cuisines. How can someone, you know, fully immerse themselves um, in Caribbean culinary experience, either through travel or at home? I think that um, Caribbean food makers are being a lot more direct with uh, creating foods that they are they grew up with. So not wa whitewashing the flavors of things to appease different palates. Um, and I, I think that the best way for people who don't have the opportunity to go to the Caribbean, um, there is a Caribbean celebration pretty much everywhere. Um, Houston has a Caribbean carnival, Miami has one, Atlanta has one, California has one, um, Seattle, New Orleans, uh, New York, uh, find a festival <laughs> is yeah. what I would say. Um, it kicks off in February with the Caribbean, um, the Trinidadian carnival, but it, Canada has a huge one, you know, London has Notting Hill. There's there's Caribbean, because we, we're good time people, right? We like to have a good time. We like to celebrate our culture, no matter where you are, you know. I beg you to, you know, name, you're gonna see a flag in a car, on the seat cover, <laughs> hanging from the, you know, that's just how we are. I mean, there's a flag in my office. Um, we're proud people and we like, to promote our culture. Um, and because of that, we, we, we celebrate. And most everywhere has a Caribbean festival of some sort. Um, so I would say if you, if, you wanna, if you want a good immersive experience is to attend a festival um, in your local, Atlanta has one. Like they, I've, I've, you know, all the small islands will have theirs. Barbados will have theirs. Jamaica has a, a Caribbean carnival. Um, so I would say that if you if you want to dive into a different experience that's very authentic, to attend the carnival, like that that because the carnival will have music, it will have the vibe, it will have the food, it will have the drinks. 
Um, and that's the most uh, tangible way that I like expose people to um, our culture because it's very unique. Mm -hmm. Very unique, very, very, very unique. And, and there's an etiquette to it, right? Like mm -hmm. you just can't come in there acting all wassy and unruly. Like there's, there's a definite, you know, cultural shift when you enter a space that is a Caribbean-based environment, you know, and, and, and here in Houston, you know, they have a Houston, like I told you, is a huge Caribbean population and we have our Caribbean carnival. And, you know, once the, it started advertising on local radio, it was a different crowd, you know, but, but that crowd had to be taught. Like you can't just grab up on you can't just you know if a girl comes and she went on you and she walk away that's just part of it like you don't you don't need to be around you know it was very different um and it's it was fun well some of it was was interesting learning and teaching a different culture as to how to act within um but i think that the most tangible way for people to be immersed in a caribbean environment is to attend a carnival not all the parties mm -hmm. Because carnival comes with like a string of you know day to night parties, but it also includes the the culinary and the food that we we have for sure. Yeah, part of that celebration, and then you know the health and wellness, of course, is gaining importance in our society. You know how are traditional Caribbean dishes adapted, if any, to meet modern health conscious trends without compromising taste and authenticity. I think that Caribbeans cook their food um, and cooking food for yourself, I think just in and of itself is promotes health and wellness because you know what your what the ingredients are, you know, well, you might not know where that chicken came from, but you know what you're putting on the chicken. You know that you're cleaning that chicken with some lime or some vinegar or some lemon juice before you're cooking it, as opposed to going out in these streets and eating just about anywhere. Um, I think because we cook our food is, is how we have maintained and promoted health and wellness. Because like I said, you know what's in it. Um, when you're eating out, um, and I'm a restaurateur, so I'm knocking it. Um, but when you're eating out um, or you're eating fast food, you don't have any idea what that's from. Um, and when my grandmother grew her food for as long as I've known her, she's had Kareli, she had okra, she had uh, Kalaloo, she had, what else did Granny have? She had um, green onion. She had onions, she grew carrots. Like those are things that I remember her just going out and picking and bringing inside and cooking for us. So I think that we, whereas my mom, you know, she's she's trying to conform, you know, she's an immigrant in this country. She doesn't want to cook, you know, hallelujah, even though she did, but she's going to throw a quiche in there. And we're like, what, what is this? What is this egg-based? What is this? You know? But you know, corned beef and 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 rice and spinach was something that we grew up eating. That is a very Caribbean thing, out of the can with the little key thing turning mm -hmm. around. <laughs> um, which in retrospect was probably terrible for us to be eating, right? Because corned beef is not at a beef out of a can. I mean, now you're just like, what in the world? Salmon out of a can. You know, my first experience was, you know. 
my is salmon and rice and cabbage and and that salmon came and I dare to say didn't start eating fresh salmon till I was a whole adult like adult adult um which I like like that, that's a realization right now like wow that was like well, normal you know but that was <laughs> what we eat what we ate now I can you know have fresh salmon and make the same meal but growing up that's what you had but again it goes back to cooking like yes that salmon is coming out of a can but that's fresh tomato fresh onion fresh garlic you know curry green seasoning that's going into that thing so I think that Caribbeans by way of the fact that we still have our, our population we cook you know we we cook our own food it's very rare and if we ain't cooking it, we go going to somebody else that doesn't cook it, right? Because, you yeah, know, the the, yeah. the the mad call of who cooking this <laughs> Sunday? And somebody going to show up or someone say, oh, I cook it, I'm doing it Sunday, blah, 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 and they'll go. And so even if you're not cooking, somebody you know is cooking. And you mm -hmm. just go take your plate, your, your plastics, and you pack up for exactly. the, you know, and then you carry on. But, like, I, I believe that. And then, two, we are heavy fish eaters. We're heavy vegetable mm -hmm. eaters. There's always a salad. There's always a, a, a like I said, an avocado. There's always mm -hmm. freshly made bread. There's not things that come out of plastic so much. So by happenstance of our cultural background, we cook. So I think that lends to a healthier, you know, lifestyle. Dal and rice, fish, sardines, um, smoked herring, like red snapper, shark and bake. You know, these are things that are fresh and that are healthy of course there's you know blood sausage and pig foot and chicken foot sauce but you know that's not that's in moderation you know it's <laughs> mm, not an everyday thing it's not an everyday thing you know so I think that that's how we lend ourselves to maintaining a healthier lifestyle is because I think that Caribbeans cook more mm -hmm. no definitely that's definitely true and because you gotta think about it it's kind of shunned on if you don't know how to cook you know exactly. like you know, and then we know the family members that just can't cook, but, you know, it's kind of like shunned upon to not know how to, you know, throw some paylaw together or make some stewed chicken or throw a callaloo on the stove in a pinch. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, and, and then people are leaning back towards, you know, seasonal, non-frozen, non-can of you know, here in America, they try to kill this girl. So, you know, it, it's a matter of, I'm not trying to get this preserved, whatever it is. And why isn't, why have I had it in my cabinet for a month? And it's still, you know, it ain't got no fuzz on it. Like, I don't understand. So I think a lot of people are leaning more or starting to lean towards. And like we, I said earlier, you know, our parents, the generation before us, they're older now. And they're going to the doctor and the doctor's saying that hypertension and then, you know, that diabetes is due to your terrible diet. And they wanted to simulate like I like they want to cook American food and, and American food is processed. Um, the fact that there's things here that Canada won't even consider selling is is an atrocity. You know, there's there's poison in everything not to be a doomsdayer but you know but it's just it's just really making sure that what you're eating is real food you know 
and to be able to know know what you're eating and how you're cooking it as well. Consciously aware of, you know, like we said, talked earlier, that here are the grocery stores, they've eliminated half of the produce section for ready-made products. So, you know, it'll be a salmon with butter, some sort of herb butter and an asparagus that you just stick in your air fryer or your microwave or your oven. But what is in that for it to preserve sitting on a shelf for a couple of days? You know, there's chicken with grill marks on it and, mm. you know, some sort of sauce that will melt on. And it's like, what's happening here? You know, and and it's it's a little scary. Um but, you know, in the same wave of people that look at that as a convenient thing, there's a wave of people that is like, I don't think so. You know, I want to I want to know where my stuff comes from. And butchers, you know, it's interesting because the community that my restaurant is in is considered a food desert, right? It's considered a, a you know, it's considered a, and, and it's, I tell people, I don't ever use that word because the people that live in this community do not consider this community as a food desert. They get their meat from the local butcher. It might be the ghetto to you, but they know where their meat comes from. You know, and they stand in that line and they get the sausage that's made fresh in-house and they get the the meats that you're watching them butcher the primal parts down. Just like our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers, you know, before communities of color were degraded and destroyed, they were self-sufficient and they had their own everything that was sourced locally. So when I'm talking to people about the community that I'm in, it's, it's like, don't call it a food desert. Mm-hmm. Don't call it that because the people that live there don't consider there's food all on every corner. The kind of food is different, but the, there's food and resources on every corner. And it's more people going to buy their meats and their proteins from a butcher that's farm or ranch is, you know, an hour away from the city versus going to Kroger. And we don't know where that meat came from, you know, they might buy that meat and fry it and smother it, but it <laughs> that meat is sourced source? local, right? So I think that, you know, there's a misconception of, of uh, in general, when it comes to certain communities, as far as accessibility of food. Um, and, and I think that we're starting to lean back towards growing our own food. And, you know, once you grow food, you can feed a block you can feed your whole neighborhood with one house that's growing food in their backyard because food grows in abundance. So. Definitely know, but thank you so much, uh, Chef Griggs, for coming on to the podcast. And to thank you for having me. Speak about, you know, Caribbean food ways and, and knowing that it's part of our history. So, it is. It's part of everyone's history. It's not just ours. Mm-hmm. African Africa touched everywhere. People, Afri- people of African descent touched everywhere, and we brought and they brought their agricultural and cultural influences to every facet of this globe. And I'm excited to keep talking about the fact that you know black food is not a monolith. We come from all over the place, but we're all eating the same thing. Um, it, just a little bit different. Just a different spice here and there. So to be able to continue to talk about the fact that, you know, we're such a diverse um, entity, but we're all the same. And then that's not just with Africans and African-Americans and Africans, it's with Asians, it's with Hispanic, any immigrants country is eating 
pretty much the same things, just differently. So I'm really excited to talk about that at any opportunity. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you.